This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. So I thought that before we go into detail about which herbs can help for distress, it's important to understand the whole base of Western herbalism. And Western herbalism, we've seen a lot of uh, grave sites for Neolithic eras of people chewing on yarrow, for example, for toothaches. So it's been in our system for a long time. Uh, interestingly, too, I was reading about uh, chimpanzees using specific <laughs> herbs uh, for just to take away all of it's a celery, like a celery leaf, to take away the parasites in their bodies. So herbs have been around for all of us animals on this planet for a long time. And there was a very strong Greek influence as well. So a lot of the medical knowledge also came over from Egypt. There's a lot of mixing that you'll see eventually how we get to uh, Western herbalism. But Greeks were very highly skilled in medicinal um, materia medica. Um, We had a lot of the humors or um, Hippocrates, he used a lot of nature-based, so vinegars and elixirs and herbs and honeys were used a lot of the base, especially also hydrotherapy, use of water. Um, one interesting thing is the doctrine of signatures, if you might be aware of, is the idea that the plant resembles what it's used for. And I'll show you pictures in a little bit. For example, I've just used some examples, but there are many. Um, eye bright has been used as wash for the eyes and also internally as well. Um, some of it have a deep purple center, and it's a white flower. Others have like a yellow center, and it looks like an eye. Um, dandelion is very yellow, and it helps with bile and the liver and the root. Comfrey, when you see it, here I'll show you. So comfrey is the middle one here. Looks like skin cells. It's very effective in salves when you use it um, externally too. And then ginger is up here, very similar to the stomach. We've seen how many studies now of how ginger is effective for nausea and also in pregnancy nausea, chemo-induced nausea, as well as motion sickness. Middle Ages um, came with a lot of superstition. Um, A lot of the writings have been done by men, but it were the women who were the ones creating the potions and having it passed down from generation to generation. It did stop in the monasteries because they knew how to write, and so that's why a lot of the material is coming from that era. And then this was revived. They revived many Greek texts. It was like this new age of revival. So here, just preparations that they used. Hildegard of Bingen, she was um, a natural mystic, poet, scholar. Um, She was promised by her parents at the age of eight to the monastery, the Benedictine monastery. And she became very knowledgeable in herbal medicine and was um, many people from around the area, very influential, would come to see her. Um, She also composed music as well. And she is someone who is very much an important influence in Western herbalism. And then we come finally to the eclectics, and that is one of the main bases of Western herbalism. They used a lot of Ayurveda, 
Chinese medicine, Native American medicine. And they had one of the first medical schools where they allowed women and African Americans to attend here in the United States. A lot of the herbs, if you see officinalis afterwards, is because they were inserted into the book by the eclectics, like echinacea, for example. So now we come to the talk here uh, for emotional distress. I really like this quote. If you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you're living in the future. And if you are at peace, you're living in the present. And this has been attributed to many people, but I found that most likely it's this uh, woman, Junia Bretas. She is a Brazilian um, yoga uh, mind meditation person. So emotional distress. It's still a very new phenomenon in our culture, uh, but the, the feelings we've had have been since the beginning of time. Uh, there's still a very strong stigma, and I thought how interesting that we've come so far in understanding our brain, the neuroscience, mapping everything, but then the emotions are such a mystery still. Culture plays a huge um, moment in emotional distress as well. So that's another part we try to take into account. So for herbal approach, when you see someone who is uh, an herbalist, they treat the person and not the symptom. Um, There is a paradigm that we are so used to in Western medicine that, for example, an aspirin will help anyone who has pain. And generally it does. If you have a headache, it'll go away unless you have an allergy. Um, But In herbalism, it's important to really understand the person as a whole because there are certain herbs that may not really work as well for you, and not because the herb itself is not working, but because of your constitution. And so when you see someone, they talk to you about your constitutional type. That's a a phrase that we use. So they ask you questions, and those questions in a questionnaire will kind of determine if you're more cold, we use humors as well, or more warm-blooded. So, for example, um, I'm actually having issues. I had issues with my shoulder, uh, rotator cuff. And I go to physical therapy, but what's really helped me personally is just turmeric, high-dose turmeric. And my physical therapist was saying, yeah, I've heard it's really good, but some people really have stomach issues with turmeric. And I was explaining that that is because turmeric is very warming. It's extremely warming. So if you already are someone who's very warm, um, then it's going to really rev up your digestion. And it's not going to be such a nice combination as of someone who's always cold. Um, we also look at eyes, tongue, pulse, and blood pressure. Um, I also wanted to touch upon this formula that some of you may be familiar with. Um, Leonardo of Pisa was one of the people attributed, though um, it's been also in Indian Mm -hmm. mathematics for centuries as well. This is the formula that has been found in nature and art. And you you add, so you become with zero with one is one. One plus one now is two. And then you add the two with the one, and you continue in a spiral nonstop. And in, in some of the herbalism in the school that I was taught at, when we create the formulas for each patient, each part now goes with the Fibonacci formula so that we flow in nature. So if there's five parts, for example, and, and I'll go into more detail of what, how we use it, we begin usually with a five, then a three, a two, one, one. 
because we want the whole incorporation of the herbs to be placed in balance with nature and in the person as well. So one of the things we look at is the tongue. And the tongue means so many different things in so many different cultures. In our culture, generally, it's making fun of someone or you're angry at someone. In New Zealand, it's very much of strength, the Hakka tradition. In Tibetan, um, they're showing you their tongue out of respect because there was a belief that people who had black tongues were evil. And so if you show your tongue, you are good. So the tongue is very important and gives us a lot of clues. So when we look at the tongue, we take a lot from uh, traditional Chinese medicine. And you look at this whole area as the spleen, stomach. You look at the lungs, the heart, liver, and gallbladder. And then this is an example. So if you, I don't know if you can see, there's a whole wind line coming down. That is believed there could be different reasons for this. But you start gathering information. So the person may be dehydrated. With a dehydration, it becomes even deeper of a crack. But it's also called a wind line. And a wind line is someone who keeps thinking and thinking things over and over, and they just can't stop thinking. And so it's important that when you're speaking to the person, you're gathering that info, and the tongue now just gives you confirmation. On this side, the tongue is called scalloped. And that could just simply be that the tongue is wide, and it's hitting against the teeth when you're sleeping. But that's also attributed, it could be to deficiencies, to iron deficiency, vitamin D deficiency, also to dehydration, and also stress. And then we have them, we look under the tongue, if there's any type of engorgement. A lot of times if one side is much fuller, we ask if there was an accident on that side because this represents inflammation. It also can go with the um, hepatic flow, the liver. We also look at the face. One of the, the most common is um, the eyebrows. When the eyebrow ends, like in the middle, uh, we tend to see that in people with hypothyroid. And so each part represents a part of the face. Now, none of this is, has to be rigid, but are things that are help us give clues when we're meeting with patients. So I'll just look, you look at this. This one, too, I've seen uh, a lot. This one's being swollen eyes. Uh, underneath, the eye is very swollen. Obviously, if you had a lot of sodium the night before or you didn't have enough sleep, it's going to be swollen. But if this is something that's general, it tends to have some kidney issue or adrenal fatigue that we call. So we're looking at all these clues to formulate the best type of herbs. And then pulses. Pulses is another one that we use. Um, There's three main areas. And so the left side we use as what you were born with, who you are. And the right side is your lifestyle. And so you look at both sides, you feel both sides, um, and each one represents a part of the body. So this one can be the top part, so heart or lung. I mean heart. Um, And then then here you can have the stomach, and then here is the kidney. 
And then you can get into nuances where you can feel ovaries or prostate when you're sliding, too. And then each pulse has different feelings. So sometimes it'll feel like it's underwater. There's a cotton pulse. A cotton pulse could be someone who does not drink enough water, and now the fluid is kind of um, drowning out the pulse that you're feeling. Sometimes you feel this vibration like an electricity, and that's a lot of stress. So when a formula is created for a person who comes in to see an herbalist, you begin most of the time, and all of us do, is what I like to do, is an adaptogen. So an adaptogen basically means it's an herb to help you to adapt to stressful situations. And there is, I would say, no one in this whole society at this moment who is not having any type of stress. And so that is one of the base. So going back to that Fibonacci formula, um, that would be the five. That's the one you start with. That's the most of the concentration of that formula. Um, this is something that you can use long-term. There are herbs that are very short-term only for energy or for tonics. This is long-term. This is something that's safe. And so I put a whole list, but there are so many adaptogens. I really encourage you to look up adaptogens. These are one of the most popular. So ashwagandha, ashwagandha is right up here. Ashwagandha is also like winterberry is another word. We like to use uh, Latin names a lot of times because there's so many popular names that they can be confused. But I'll just go with the most common of them. This one has been used in Ayurveda medicine for centuries. Um, and it's uh, very good. Uh, they also call it like, uh, like the vigor of a horse. It has a lot of stamina. Um, it helps people, even though it gives you energy, it sounds counterintuitive what I'm about to say. It helps people sleep and relax and let go. It's not a sedative. It's something that is slowly over time readjusting your body and balancing. Um, this one is very well researched. Um, it's also for people who may have mild thyroid issues. It's no way a replacement if you're on thyroid medication, but it's for people who may have, maybe they're on that normal level when they go to the doctor, but they still have those feelings of maybe being cold, or maybe now they're noticing that they're having a little more hair loss, or that their skin is a little dry. Some symptoms that may be similar to hypothyroidism, ashwagandha is a very useful herb. Oh, panic ginseng. This one is a very good um, sense of calmness. Um, this one helps to maintain homeostasis and the immune system. Most of all of the adaptogens actually are very good for the immune system. And that's where it begins building stamina in the person. And so this one is very much for like aging and for stress. A lot of these herbs... Um, the Russians, too, were using in the Olympic times um, for ways to gather a little bit more extra oomph, and um, they've been very effective. And then astrologus. Astrologus, um, a lot of in Chinese uh, cultures, use in soup when you're sick. Astrologus um, is very much a, a Chinese medicinal plant. And let me show you this one. Astralagus. And then um, this one has uh, research has shown that it's anti-inflammatory, 
antioxidant, it's a liver protectant, and it's one of the most important uh, key tonifying herbs. Holy basil, or tulsi, is a beautiful herb that uh, is also an adaptogen, but in our clinic when we were, when I was in the herbal school, um, we were also taught that it's a very good plant to connect to ancestors. It's very sacred. So if you have people who are having some issues with um, parents or grandparents, that can be added to the formula, and it's also a very calming plant. And it's also very good with cholesterol, too. Rhodiola, this one is in parts of Europe and Asia, and this has a normalizing um, physiologic influence, so it helps the body to deal with stressor, and it enhances uh, physical and mental performance. This was one of the ones, too, that the Russians used um, in the Olympics. It helps to fight fatigue. It uh, helps with mood disorders like depression. Amla is uh, Indian gooseberry. It's another popular Ayurvedic tonic, and it helps believe to like promote youthfulness. And a lot of products now are using it as a cream base. Um, a lot of people are taking all of these. It's like a new fad, the adaptogens that we have. Cordyceps used to be, now they're doing a vegan style, but it used to be that it was a fungus that would take over a caterpillar, a certain caterpillar, and, and freeze it. But it's very, very, very a good adaptogen. Um, it helps to treat kidney health, infertility, sexual dysfunction, and fatigue, and it's a kidney tonic as well. Um, now there are companies that they um, harvest from trees, so they don't use the caterpillars as well. And then Eleuthero, this one, looks like a little man. This is Chinese medicine, too. It's a root. And so um, I say this because of that doctrine of signature that people believe, and they do use it as a sexual tonic for men. But it's also very useful for women, and it's also very immune-boosting. Its cognitive support, too, helps the cholest um, reduce cholesterol, and it's also for people in very high-stress jobs. Um, but I don't really like to use it for people who are extremely type A because Eleuthera will give you that push. And if you already have that push, you're going to keep pushing yourself. So you need something that's more calming. And then maca is a Peruvian root. Also very much used for uh, female and male uh, reproductive health and sexuality, but it's also a very calming herb. Um, there has been research in eight different types of varieties um, that show a slight different profile of like vitamins and minerals that it has. So it's very rich in nutrients. Um, raw is not the way to take it, but they show they sell it in powder form or in um, tincture as well. And then uh, it has increased actually um, sperm count. So um, when you have you begin with the adaptogen. Usually, and um, I'll, I just jumped ahead a little bit, but usually you'll do something for digestion. That would be the three. And then nervine would be the two. Nervine is just what it sounds like. It's something to help the nervous system. Um, we all need that. It's for helping with anxiety, for insomnia, for any restlessness, or any uh, just feeling a little bit out of whack. 
Um, I, there's also a whole slew of nervines available, and it's important to really understand and maybe meet with someone who, who knows um, herbs, or even when you go buy herbs, that there are people like um, in a lot of the herbal shops who really understand the mixes, because some some of these nervines may not be the best for you. If you're taking already an over-the-prescribed uh, sedative, a lot of these will potentiate and make it stronger. So it's important to take that into account, and if you can, to discuss you know, with your healthcare provider. But one of the really nice ones is milky oats. I'll show you a picture here of the person holding it. About two to three weeks in the year, these produce like a little milky substance. And when you go out in the field, you want to go with your menstruum or your alcohol and right away put it in fresh because this is one of the nervines that really help to regenerate nerves to help with the long-term people who are afraid, who really feel that they're adrenal fatigue or that they really have got to the point where they're burnt out um, over time, so it takes a long time to gain that back, but over time, um, milky oats have shown to be very, very um, beneficial. It's also a very nice um, tonic for men who may have some sexual issues of being able to maybe not having um, desire, sexual desire as well. And especially for people who feel like they really need caffeine to get through the day, this is a nice one to regenerate. Skull cap. Skull cap is right here. I always think it's very nice to connect to the plant and not just see it on paper or take it as a pill, but to actually look at the picture or even, even better in nature to be with the plant because that relationship is very strong and it makes the medicine stronger too. Skull cap is right here. It's a very wonderful um, nervine, especially for people who may work in offices and they hold all the tension in muscular skeletal system. Um, Skullcap helps to release that. It's um, it's pretty strong, um, but it's very effective. It's gentle, and all the time I tell people whenever they're starting any herb, especially in tincture form, that it may look like a little bottle with um, alcohol with the herb, just to start slow just to see what your tolerance is. Because maybe the bottle says 30 drops, but maybe do five and see how you start feeling with that. This one is passion flower. Passion flower, uh, and when Europeans came across it, they really connected to, uh, to Christianity. And they, they would see the cross, and they would see the, the points um, for Christ on the, on the pole. But um, really, uh, um, really uh, it was an Aztec medicine, and the Aztecs used it for relaxation and also for connection to dream state. And passion flower is a very gentle one. A lot of these you could explore in tea form first and see how you feel in the evening. This one's catnip. And catnip, you may know if you have cats, Cats love it, and they go totally insane, and they get energized. But for humans, it's the opposite. We become so relaxed. It's very nurturing. It opens the diaphragm. Um, a lot of times we hold tension in the diaphragm, and this opens up. It's a diaphoretic that we call it. Um, it helps your digestion, and it's a mild bitter, bitter meaning that it helps the liver produce bile, 
Um, and it also and it's very good for nighttime for relaxation. This one, blue vervain, is pretty much the big sister of skullcap. Blue vervain uh, has a lot of magical qualities associated with Celtic culture, and it's a very um, good nervine and relaxant. Um, it also produces dreams, very strong with dreams. If you notice, all these four are very similar in color, and so they're, they're one category of nervines that relax. When you look at poppies, especially now with the super bloom that's happening in the south, um, poppies is another category called hypnotic, and they're much stronger. So just like the Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy went into the poppy field and just went off to another dimension, this is poppy, especially for people who have severe insomnia. And we use the flower, the leaf, and the root. Um, to go back to these, chamomile. I think most people are familiar with chamomile. Um, chamomile, one interesting point is if you want it to be opposite, you would do a cold infusion. So that means you would take either the tea bag or the loose leaf and add cold water directly to it. You let it steep overnight, and then when you drink it in the morning, it gives you a lot of energy, but it doesn't stimulate you like caffeine. So that's chamomile. And then chamomile in general is very gentle. It's also very good for the digestion. Um, taken warm, it's safe for children as well. Um, hops. Hops is interesting because we may recognize hops more from beer. Um, traditionally, it was the women who would make beer in middle age times or before. Um, but beer that they used to make were all the ones that ended in wort, all the herbs, mugwort, St. John's wort, uh, motherwort, all of those stimulated a lot of uh, uh, sexual interest. And so the church decided that was not good. And so they decided to put hops, and hops makes you relax and go to sleep. <laughs> but what they didn't realize is for women, that's very good. That helps relax and to open themselves to, to sex. But for men, that just turns it off. And the church wanted that off. So they added hops. <laughs> but uh, you, you might find there's lots of companies now making um, beers with traditional herbs. And they're very tasty. Damiana is one, too. Valerian. Valerian is 50-50 because some people really respond negatively to valerian. Uh, like, I can't take it. I become very hyper. But other people fall asleep. So it's like what I was saying before. It's always good to explore and have guidance as well. Um, motherwort. Motherwort is a very cardiac-friendly herb. It helps with women um, who are having maybe perimenopausal issues with flutters, so it helps to calm uh, the, the heart. It also helps as um, a calming for all, for men and women, and it's also for people who have heart issues too, just to help relax. So um, another component to take into consideration is the connection between the mind and the, and the gut. When a person comes into the neurobal clinic, a lot, um, what we ask a lot of times when they're having depression, for example, or feeling blue, is how is their gut? How, uh, do they have a leaky gut syndrome? Are they more constipated? Do they have diarrhea? Because we've learned that 
the gut also has its own mind. It has the enteric nervous system. It's just as large as the brain, um, and, and this sends a, a lot of impulses and records experiences. And, and this is what we are always feeling when we have that gut feeling or the butterflies in the stomach or knots in our stomach. This is real, and this is our connection. But sometimes when there is an imbalance in the gut, that also affects the person's mood. Uh, the gut contains 100 million neurons, and it's more than the spinal cord. So we really need to pay attention to our digestive health when we're trying to understand our emotional distress as well. Um, serotonin is also produced in the gut, and they've been showing um, some research now that this imbalance leads to higher incidences of anxiety as well. So here are some examples of what we always have said uh, just in society, and now we are understanding with science that it is validated. So what do we do as herbalists? Um, so we try to increase or add bitters. That would be the number three in that formula. So we have five in that Fibonacci formula. We would start with an adaptogen that's best suited for the person. Three, we would add digestive herbs. So bitters, most of our diet in the United States is very heavy on sugar. It's very sweet. We're not used to bitters. And I think even in the turn of the century, that started changing in the 1900s because bitters used to always be after dinner. Um, bitters really help with digestion. It helps to reduce heartburn, nausea, gas. Um, and, and just as a nice plus, it helps to reduce sugar cravings for many people. Um, and it supports skin because if you're having digestive issues, the first thing also we look to is, um, I'm sorry, if you're having skin issues, we look to the digestion. So some examples, think of the most bitter herbs that you can think of. So dandelions that are everywhere now in the spring, um, the root is for the herb, I mean for the liver. The leaf, just as an aside, is for the kidney. Um, gentian is a very bitter herb. Yellow dock helps a lot with people who are very constipated. Orange peel, artichoke leaf, burdock root. Burdock root now is sold in so many places. Um, it's a long tubular uh, vegetable, so to speak. But people have used it for so long. Uh, it's very effective. And it really moisturizes the skin once you're taking it for a while. Sometimes I tell people, if you don't want to take a tincture, you can buy, for example, burdock root. You wash it. You cut it in little pieces and just cook it in some water until it's a little bit tender. And then you get rid of half of that water and you put this into a can or a glass jar. And you can put some soy sauce or some vinegar. And it's like a quick pickling way. And you can just eat that as a snack. So there's ways to make your herbs food. Or now it's nettle season. Nettles are very nice. You can make into a pesto. You can make into a soup. There's ways to eat your herbs. The liver. So when there's emotional distress, we also look at the liver, too. Um, one thing that is interesting that we also were taught and is also borrowed very 
uh, openly from traditional Chinese medicine are organ times. So sometimes we'll have people who say, you know, I always wake up between 3 or 3.30 every day, and then I can't get to sleep. Um, that's a liver time from 3 to 5 in the morning. Then there are times for the lung, there are times for the spleen. And so you're also finding these are little clues that you can help when you're formulating for a patient. Um, in ancient Greek medicine, melancholia was described as a state when the person had too much melon, the black bile, color, so melancholia. And this imbalance led to symptoms of irritability, depression with anxiety, angry thoughts, loss of appetite, insomnia, nausea, and biliousness. I put here, um, check the eyes, because it's believed that the meridian from the liver goes into the eyes. So sometimes you'll see people with very red eyes, dry eyes. Um, that, like chrysanthemum leaf um, flower, is very nice for the eyes, and it calms the liver. Bitters will calm the liver. But you also want to make sure, is the liver that is having issues too hot? Um, so you would use motherwort, milk thistle, burdock, dandelion. For example, these are herbs that will cool the liver to relax the liver. Um, or the liver really is not moving. It's, not, it's stagnant. It's not functioning as, as, as it should. So these are herbs that are warming. Mahonia, it's a, it's a berry. Um, Berberus, rumix, schizandra. These are herbs that really stimulate the liver. Um, then there is something that is called like a hepatic depression, and that is when, um, again, is more of a cooling liver. The liver is not really moving as much as it should. And so these are some herbs that have been recommended to take for patients. Um, St. John's wort is a very good herb, just to take into account that if you're taking blood thinners, um, that should be something to consider. And, and then it's also very photosensitive meaning that if you go out into the sunlight, you may be burned easier than normal. So take that into account. Other issues for emotional distress. This could be um, anywhere from being a teenager to going through puberty. And, pu and for puberty, um, one thing that really has been shown to be effective is um, mimosa. A mimosa is albizia tree, and it's big, pink, pluff, uh, fluffy flowers, and it's very nice for anxiety, uh, for depression, and it's called the tree of joy. Um, and then for premenstrual issues, there are menopausal. There's so many um, different things that could be causing uh, emotional distress. So um, what they recommend is motherwort, black cohosh, licorice, for perimenopause or menopause. So this combination, black cohosh for hot flashes, motherwort also, but also for the thyroid that becomes less um, active during this time, and licorice as sort of like a cortisone that helps. Um, for men who go through andropause, that is very real, um, saw palmetto, ginseng, milky oats, black cohosh, all in combination because all of these herbs, no matter what issue you're having, um, shouldn't be used necessarily by themselves. You need a combination. You need that adaptogen to be your base, 
You need something for digestion, you need something for your nerves, and you need something to pull it together. Um, Vitex is a chaste berry. It's been very effective in women with polyovarian cystic syndrome um, for endometriosis. Shatavari is the woman with a thousand husbands that helps to invigorate the woman. Dongkwai. Dongkwai is um, another Chinese medicine, very good for balancing hormones. And so this is, um, and also these can be used as well for perimenopause too. Stagnant depression. So David Winston is a very well-known herbalist. He coined this term, and it's actually very appropriate uh, emotional distress. So this could be um, the loss of a loved one, uh, loss of your role in life, retirement. So this is something that um, is appropriate, and then there are herbs that also can help move this along. Uh, Lavender, rosemary. Damiana may not be as well-known, perhaps, to some of you, but it's a South American herb that is, has very much the notes, I think, more like a chocolatey note. It's very tasty. It's over-harvested. That's another thing to take into account. Um, but it's for women mainly, for reproductive health, and for stress. Rose petals, holy basil, or the tulsi, and mimosa. Obviously, it's good to always do in conjunction with exercise, making sure deficiencies are addressed, um, help of therapy um, as well. Um, Elder depression is another type of emotional distress. This could be um, due to medications, um, too much poly medications that we have in our society. Um, So having to work with your physician as well. Loss of spouse, loss of friends, the function in life, adjusting to the new normal, malnutrition. So the best way to do is to address these deficiencies, number one. Um, adding herbs will not, will not correct things if you're not making sure that, for example, a vitamin B deficiency is not addressed. So it's working in conjunction with a whole team of health experts as well. Um, so then there are some herbs, when you're adjusting that, that could help. So here's a, a whole list as well. The, it's called Night Blooming Cereus. It's kind of like a, uh, like a cactus. Damiana, ginkgo, mimosa, hawthorn, and then adaptogens. And then not to use um, St. John's wort with anyone taking the blood thinners, digoxin, or cyclosporine. Okay, so there are also conditions that can cause emotional distress. Thyroid, usually the hypostate when it's low. Um, and we, I think I had gone over a little bit about those symptoms, but feeling cold, more depressed, there's slight weight gain, low libido, irritability, fatigue, coarse dry skin, thinning hair, constipation, poor memory, or muscle cramps. And these are very similar to so many other illnesses that it's first good to have that checked out, make sure that that's what's going on, and then address the issue. Um, Blood sugar, 
blood sugar. Um, we've been showing more and more how cinnamon is so effective in helping to control blood sugar. Um, it's very balanced. You could use it food-wise on food, or there's also concentrated in tincture and pills. I'm sure there's, there's also pill form. Um, and then, uh, for, of course, we want for blood sugar, fiber, weight loss, exercise as well, in addition. But reishi also is good for regulating blood sugar as well. Um, Tulsi. And then deficiencies, addressing the vitamin deficiencies. Cardiac. So the, the, the most prominent herbs that are known for cardiac health are hawthorn and linden. Those are beautiful herbs. Actually, the leaf of the linden tree looks like a heart. So that's like the doctrine of signature that we have. Hawthorn, you use the leaf, the berry. Those are the main two that we use. Um, And then in terms of how to use it, they sell anything from hawthorn syrup that you can use on pancakes or use it um, to take spoonful uh, to teas, to tinctures. And then in con- um, I always balance the hawthorn with the linden. And linden is a water regulator, diuretic, and it's also good for cardiac health. These are still safe to take if you're taking cardiac medications, too. They're mild enough that they wouldn't interfere with that. Um, and then this, I, I put an extra D, but it's the seasonal affective disorder um, that we might have all been through before the sun started coming out, but it's the um, having sufficient light and vitamin D, but also increasing with St. John's wort, and also all of the herbs that have the most beautiful bright yellow and orange flowers bring us this joy and this internal light. So calendula is a very nice one. Calendula, like all of the herbs, are many multifaceted, so they may help for this seasonal affective disorder, but they also help for skin. A lot of our products, skin products, may have calendula in them, and that's very effective. It's also for the liver, too. So all of these may seem like it's a cover for everything, but a lot of these herbs go through different categories, too. So hawthorn can be a nervine, and it can be an adaptogen, and it's a cardiac as well. So... It's a mix. It's a very different paradigm from what we're used to. Another thing that is nice to add to that formula are flower essences. So flower essences are different because in a tincture or herbs, you're using the plant. So either the root, the, um, the leaf, the flower. But in flower essences, you're using the energetic. So it sounds a little more like woo-woo. <laughs> but... They're very, actually very powerful. Like I was very more skeptical, to be honest, but until I started seeing how it really helped people. So the, way to, the best way to do it, let me see if I, I'll show you a picture of mine, but um, you can do either with sun or with moon. So you, you take the flower that you want. So each flower will have a different uh, imprint or a different function. You don't Ideally, you don't touch the flower. You go out with tweezers and scissors. You cut, and it falls into a bowl that has purified water. And then you let it energize in the sun or in the moon. 
and then you discard the flour and you use that water and you mix it with brandy to preserve and then that's your stock. And then now you're using flower essences. It's much easier to make yourself than to buy. Um, and then those flower essences now are helping with the energetic part. So, um, for example, the, the dandelion itself. Maybe, like we were saying, the root is for the liver and the leaf is for the kidney. But in flower essences, dandelion is for people who keep all their very type A and they keep everything up here. It's nothing to do specifically with the plant. It's at the energetic part of the flower. Um, and then for this is a clover, and this is St. John's wort. St. John's wort also is very effective um, for, for feeling fulfilled. So there's different things that when you look up each one, it's a totally different um, energetic component. But they're very effective, and you put some drops into the formula. I had one person who came in. She was about 26 when she first came. Her head was completely shaved. She would just put a hoodie over and just look down. That was how we started the first time. And she wanted to come in for courage. And so I kept thinking, okay, how do I produce courage from herbs? So it was more talking and it was more self-esteem that was her issue. Um, and so we did this whole formula because she had also thyroid issues. She was coming off a lot of um, antidepressant issue, uh, medications, so we needed to help the liver. Um, she was also needing some nervine support. She wasn't sleeping well, and she was, not, she was extremely constipated. But we added some borage, borage flower essence. Borage flower essence is for courage. So we added those drops. She also would pick a lot and look down. So sweet chestnut is one that we saw. Okay. So I put it in. I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. Eventually, so this was December last last year. And then eventually, by the spring, her hair was back. She was flowing. She began, um, we gave her a luthro to give her that kick because she was very slow. She didn't want to move. She started a business for flower um, making bees and honeys. So she really became this transformed beauty flower. So it was very nice to see. And then I just put also resources, like where to go. Um, there's so many ones, so I just try to find the most popular um, in San Francisco to buy herbs. Um, East Bay, and then online. Uh, so... That's, that, that's it. So thank you. <laughs> um, my role is uh, at UCSF as a nurse navigator for patients newly diagnosed with urological cancer. And so a lot of times, actually, over the phone, they'll talk to me about the herbs they're using. They feel a little more comfortable. And then within that, I can advise what's a nice combination for that. Yes, and I forgot your other part of the question. So where is the herbal clinic? Oh, this one was I studied in Berkeley at Alone Herbal Center. And so actually they have a clinic, a student-run clinic, where it's more discounted for people to go, and they'll be seen by students but then supervised by the teachers. So it's a nice resource if you're in the East Bay. Black pepper potentiates turmeric in the body, the absorption. So um, a lot of it may be on your bottle that'll say pep papuria 
I forgot the Latin name right now for black pepper. But um, that's one of the components of turmeric. Um, so sometimes there are companies that want to take apart the herb and only take what they think is the best part. But the part that is anti-inflammatory for the turmeric, they'll take it and they'll put it only in the pill. But it's not as effective because now it's missing all the other parts that turmeric has. So sometimes I'll tell people to just buy organic turmeric and powder, for example, and you can make a golden milk at night. So golden milk is you, it's very, it dyes everything. It, it stains. But you would put, maybe start with like a teaspoon, because you want to get used to the taste, but take any type of milk that you like, whether it's cow milk or almond milk, or, and you put in a teaspoon of turmeric, you put some pepper, you can put ginger, any of the, yeah, or any of the spices that are found in chai, you can put it in, and um, you put it in a blender first. You blend it all, and then you warm it up. You can add some honey and drink that. And it's very anti-inflammatory, and it's soothing, and it feels like a hug, internal hug. It's very nice. No, that's a good question. I, I'm pretty lucky that our department, the urology department, um, they're pretty open and for me to, just to help patients if they're taking something to guide them. There's nothing separate yet. Um, the only thing close to that is we have one of our doctors who's working with the Osher Center to do um, acupuncture on, on patients and to offer um, all types of integrative medicine. But it's slowly coming. But I haven't found any opposition, thankfully. <laughs> Yeah, so it is very hard still. There is an American um, herbalist guild um, that some people then, after a certain amount of hours, they become registered. But having said that, many people don't do that, and they still practice. Um, it doesn't mean that they're doing bad practice, but then that doesn't give us any type of resource to know who to trust or who not to trust. Still, it's very much word of mouth is still what I found. There's not one centralized place that I can look up an herbalist as of yet. Yeah, that's another part. You're opening a very good conversation because right now it's like the little bit of a tasting of what herbalism is, right? But it's so important to know who is harvesting your herbs, where they're coming from. Because, for example, like horsetail is something that is so good for your hair and nails, but it absorbs everything in the ground. So if someone is harvesting next to the highway, you're getting all those negative um, pollution from the herbs. So that's why, like for example, the Mountain Rose, I do like that company. They are from Oregon, and they use a lot of standards of um, uh, organic standards, and they have different types of state standards as well. So that's important. Another thing is when you go to any of these shops to ask to smell the herbs, because you may not be an expert, but you may know what fresh smells like. Because sometimes they may be sitting on the shelf for months, and it has this very... Uh, a lifeless color, but if it has a very bright green, even that in itself is a good indication that that is something fresh. Oh, and also, sorry, um, over-harvesting is another big thing. So um, someone may have the new fad and say, golden seal is the best thing for the cold season, but golden seal is extremely over-harvested when you can really use something else in, in, um, in, in its place, like or the sage, 
how many people burn sage and that's the new thing to, to clear the room. Really, that's more of a native tradition and it's over-harvested. Why not use something to your own tradition? So mugwort has been lovely to clear spaces. And that grows, that's a weed. It grows everywhere. Um, cedar is lovely for clearing spaces. So then you start connecting with your ancestry. So if my ancestry for mine is more Sicilian, more Greek in one part, and then um, um, Latino on another side, I can use or connect and my body will respond better to those herbs than me taking only Chinese herbs, for example. So then you start going into more deeper levels and more um, not as much appropriating the herbs too. Oh, blue vervain is one. Hawthorne is a very traditional uh, linden, too. Like the, the stories used to be that linden is such a calming tree that in England they would tie children to the tree when they were misbehaving and they would fall asleep. And so you start learning this folklore from your own traditions, and it makes it more magical. And so when you're taking the tea, now you can smile to yourself like, oh, <laughs> you know? Um, Hawthorne is, or, or yeah, Hawthorne, that one is a very much a fairy tree for the Celts. And so, like, you are not allowed to take that from the tree without giving a present to the fairy. And so you become creating now this new world. It's so beautiful. The question was about the organ times. If I could go more into detail, like, for example, I mentioned 3 o'clock, and that was the liver time. Um, so it doesn't necessarily at all mean that your liver is sick or bad. It's more um, energetic, so the energy behind the liver is believed to be um, the seat of anger or angry. Or it also means when you're going through hormonal changes, the liver acts up. Um, that's when a lot of times um, people may wake up if they have hot flashes too at that time. Um, I have also seen, it's very interesting, for the lung time, I think that's one to three. I have to look, but when you Google, you can put organ time. Um, and it'll show even charts of it, too. Um, but the lungs are associated with grief. And so a lot of people who have had loss tend to wake up at that time for a, a short moment. And it's nothing to do with their lungs. They're healthy, but they're feeling grief. And that's where it's stored or believed to be stored. So I like to use, like, metrics. And so I'll, like, for example, if the issue is anxiety, let's rate that day that you came in from a 0 to 10. So then we keep track of that, and we start seeing if there's a trend upwards or downwards. I mean, nothing is going to be hard science, but it's something palpable for the person as well. Um, also, depression scale is what we do. Um, and then just talking to the person, because sometimes they'll say, no, I'm not sure I felt anything, but I was able to go out hiking or something. And then you start having them talk, and then they realize, okay, there has been a change. Um, and not always, it's not always fast. But remember, too, that just because it's used a lot doesn't mean it's the only thing. So I think it's more sometimes fads or the only thing that people focus on, and then they do more research, but then they ignore all these other herbs that could also be helping for those for seasonal depression as well. So it's not necessarily the only one to use. Um, I sometimes think it's overused. Actually, one of the uses that I like the best is to make an oil from the flowers, it becomes red, and it's very good for muscular skeletal nerve pain, um, topically. Um, so for in your case, definitely like try something different. So 
um, I can think of, we can do the poppy and lemon balm a lot of times works because it's like a nice, gentle combination and, and a lower dose. So you're not taking a lot of drops if you're doing the poppy. Um, it's more like a calming effect. The lemon balm is very brightening from inside, and you're needing that in this dark period, too. Or even just trying lemon balm first by itself. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.